All right, I think I got on a minute early just because I wasn't sure about my internet, but you're right, if you're looking at this, I am not uh, David Guzik, I am uh, Chuck Muswhite. I am the lead pastor of the Village Chapel in Lompoc, California. I uh, serve as one of his board members on Enduring Word, and I also author um, the devotional site Daily Walk Devotion. And so I'm here to fill in for David. He is out of town on a trip um, doing some ministry. And so he asked uh, our, the elder, our the uh, board members to fill in. And so this is my my Thursday to fill in, and I'm excited to uh, to be here and uh, see people kind of joining in. Um, little nervous, so but that's okay. If I can uh, help you out, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so if you have any questions, go ahead and uh, put them in the chat on the uh, side, and then we'll uh, get going. So uh, as I said earlier, um, I'm Chuck Musselwhite. Um, I'm the lead pastor of the Village Chapel in a place called Lompoc, California, which is about an hour north of Santa Barbara. Um, I am also a board member for the Enduring Word and uh, just here to, to help you guys out today. And uh, so anyways, um, I wanted to start off with a question. The first question was, um, what does it take to walk in the Spirit? Paul says several times in the New Testament that not only to, um, to not walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. And, you know, honestly, when I talk to people, um, he, uh, um, they don't really, really even think about what it means to walk in the spirit. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what that means, because, you know, when I was in college, um, uh, 25 plus years ago, um, a lot of people took that uh, verse just differently. And I had one guy literally who, um, who walked around campus, um, you know, just under his breath, kind of just like speaking in tongues. Now he was a little, he was a little odd, a little different. Um, but I just never saw that as what it truly meant. To be walking in the spirit. If you look um, in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, um, uh, John ta- or Jesus talks about that he's going to send a helper or a counselor. Really, is the word to guide us. Um, it'll convict us of sin. Um, it'll uh, illuminate Scripture to us, and but also too, it'll speak to our heart to show us what we are to do as believers. And I believe, I believe that um, that more people need to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And, and so what does that take? Well, I, I think, honestly, let's start with the basics. I think we need to, um, to get in God's word uh, on a daily basis. I think we need to be spending in time in prayer, um, you know, scheduled time. But also, you know, 1 um, Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. Um, I think that's where my friend from college thought he should be speaking in tongues all the time. He should not ever stop praying. Um, I think that was a little too literal on that. But I think, honestly, as we go through our days, you know, something comes upon our heart, we see something that we need to be praying about that. And so um, we need to have that constant communication with the Lord uh, when, when the need arises or the, the situation presents itself. Um, but then also, I think that there's those times where, you know, we need to rely not just upon the truth of the word, but what, what God's leading upon our heart. Like if he tells you to go and speak to somebody. And, you know, and either encourage them or to just kind of speak a word of truth, because maybe, you know, they're kind of getting off the path. Um, I believe that's walking in the spirit, being led in the spirit. Um, Now, what prevents us from walking or being led by the spirit? Um, I think oftentimes it's our own personal life. Um, And if I can draw upon an Old Testament um, verse in Psalm chapter 15, verses one and two, it says, you know, David asked, who can be in the presence of the Lord? Who can be on the mountain of the Lord? And the Bible is um, 
uh, you know, David is really clear. It's like the person who walks in integrity and who's obedient to the Lord. Now, I know a lot of people kind of like, well, that's Old Testament. That's the law. That's, you know, works kind of based. But, but here's my argument to that. My argument is simply this, is that, you know, there's five books in the Bible that have over 80 uh, either quotations or allusions to the Old Testament. There's five Old Testament books that are alluded to or quoted in the New Testament. So if you take the Old Testament out, your New Testament's going to look a lot like Swiss cheese, um, you know. And so um, the thing I want to encourage you guys is simply this, is that, that we need to take both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I look at David and it's like he wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. He says, better is a day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. And, and we want that presence. We want um, Holy Spirit speaking to us. We want to be open and, um, and alert to God is leading us to. And so I, I think that the, the church would do really well if more people walked according to the Spirit. And I just want to encourage you guys in that today that as you're going about your life, that, that you truly ask. I mean, the great thing is, is the Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity. He is somebody that you can ask about um, and you can pray to. And, and you simply say, Lord, I, you know, you could say the Holy Spirit. You basically say, hey, I, I, I want to walk according to you today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and, and, and just lead me, lead my mind, lead my thoughts, lead my tongue. All that. And they, they respond to that. So anyways. All right, so that's that's my lead-in question, and uh, now we're going to start to get to um, to your questions here. So uh, let me see here. I got a, I have the help of somebody going on right here, and I'm just kind of looking around. Um, lots of people in here. That's exciting. Um, I I just want to remind you, I I'm filling in for uh, David Guzik today. My name is Chuck Musselwhite. I'm the lead pastor of the Village Chapel, I'm not too far from where David lives. And, um, and I've been, I'm, a, I'm an elder, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, a board member for Enduring Word. And I know David for years. And so he asked me to fill in for him today as he's actually on a plane um, flying um, somewhere right now. So I just want to uh, remind you of that. And I thank you guys for sticking around. I'm sorry if you're disappointed to, uh, that, that, he, that he's not here. So he will be here soon. All right. The first question is from Adonis Jackson. And it says this, Revelation 7, 1, 3 says, that the wind is restrained from blowing all, on all trees, earth and sea. Does that last only for the duration of the sixth seal, or does that continue throughout the tribulation? All right. Well, hey, nothing like starting with a question from Revelation right off the bat here. Um, I believe, so it's talking about these, you know, these, um, these seals, there's judgments, there's bowls, all that kind of stuff. And I believe that that lasts just for that time of the sixth seal, Adonis. I think it's not going to go on beyond that. I don't think that it just kind of builds upon one another and just kind of gets worse. Um, and, of course, I don't know. Um, we don't have any specifics on that. But I just look, kind of look at the whole trend. And as teaching through Revelation, I believe that, um, that, that the, the wind will come back after that seal's over, once the new seal starts. But it could be something else, too. So um, I just don't know the specifics on that. All right. Andrea asks, how much room should the church give to the teaching on the Holy Spirit, especially with the filling of the Holy Spirit? I think, um, <laughs> it's a great question, Andrea, and uh, I, I think that the church should give a lot of room for the Holy Spirit, especially the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think people shy away from that. I know there are certain beliefs and there are certain denominations and traditions that, that teach cessationism, which basically means that the Holy Spirit, the you know, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the things like speaking in tongues and prophecy stopped 
um, when the last apostle died, you know, and they take that from First uh, Corinthians 13, which I don't see anywhere kind of leading that. Um, but uh, but I believe that the church should be teaching a lot more. As, as I referenced in my first uh, question that I answered about walking in the spirit, I think there needs to be a lot more talk. Now, is there a lot of abuse um, with the Holy Spirit? Yes, there's a whole lot of abuse with the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of people um, uh, do things wrong. And, and I can speak from experience from this because I grew up um, in Pentecostal churches. I, I went to a, a Pentecostal uh, liberal arts college. And so I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. And I, you know, I used to joke because I grew up in a four-square church. And I literally, you know, we would go to Sunday night services and those services would go on for a long time. And I remember being a young kid and my mom would just basically say if I was tired that I would, um, that, that, she, that I was supposed to sleep underneath the pew. And so it was kind of funny though, because I remember some Sunday nights kind of falling asleep under the pew and we sat pretty close to the, um, the front of the church. And I remember seeing people slain um, in the spirit and kind of laying there and seeing people lay next to me and just kind of, you know, speaking in tongues and stuff like that. And, you know, that um, there was a lot of excess and a lot of uh, wrong theology there. And, uh, and so I think, um, I think there needs to be um, some strong teaching of the word and what the Holy Spirit does. But I do believe the gifts are for today. I do believe that people need and should operate in those. But I think there's been so much abuse, but also so much um, uh, uh, teaching resisting that, that people are afraid to do that. So good question. All right. Um, next question is from Jose. According to 1 John 5.16, what are the sins that lead to death? And what kind of death is he referring to, physical or spiritual? Okay, I'm going to turn there uh, because my memory um, is, is not good enough. So I'm going I'm to read those scriptures to you. It says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is, I'm reading from the ESV here. So um, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Okay. So what John is telling here, people here is, is that if you see um, one of your brothers or sisters in Christ um, committing a sin um, that does not lead to death. Okay. What does that mean? Well, basically, what, what John is encouraging people to do is, is like, if you see somebody getting off the path, that you need to, to love them enough to have that hard conversation. I'll take you to um, uh, 2 Corinthians, because that whole book, a big part of it is about restoration and reconciliation. And Paul had a lot of hard conversations with that church. And, um, and a lot of it had to do with uh, a person that they had to di- discipline in 1 Corinthians. There was a man who was sleeping um, with his father's wife. And, and, and Paul said, even the pagans <laughs> think this is a, a, an abomination. And so he's like, you need to deal with him. Um, and you need to have that hard conversation. And they did. They did the discipline. But then after that, they didn't know what to do. And so when fall, uh, you know, kind of or, or kind of heading into a lifestyle, you need to love them enough to go and have that conversation with them. And, and you need to, oh, I'm having a little problem with my internet. Sorry, sorry about that, frustrated. Um, but anyways, you need to have that hard uh, conversation with them. And you need to tell them, hey, this is a sin. It may not lead them to death, but there are sins that do lead to death, okay? I, I mean, let's just look at it this way. People who are caught up in, in prescription drugs or 
or, or things like fentanyl. I mean, each time they take one of those drugs, they don't know if they're going to survive. They could OD. And if they don't get the proper medicine in them right after that, they, they could die. And it happens all the time. And so there are sins that do lead to death, okay? Now, is it, there, it's both physical and spiritual, I believe, here. And there are spiritual sins that, that lead to death. Um, and so uh, we need to be able to, um, to have that conversation. I think that's the whole thrust of that. All right? Okay, good question. Joanne um, asks, when the Holy Spirit leads to pray for others, it just effortlessly flows. I stumble terribly in my own prayer. How can I improve this? Um, great, man. That's a great question, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna offer two ways. Okay, um, the first is, is is a very practical one. Practice makes perfect. Okay, and uh, you know you you get better at prayer by just praying. Okay, um, and 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 you can also you know there's you know Andrew Murray um, has some great books on prayer. There's a lot of great resources. There's a lot of good teaching on YouTube about prayer as well. Um, but I want to encourage you just to practice that. But also too. You know, this is something that you can, you can ask God, because remember, the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray, and he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Now, you know, people have taken that um, and literally and basically said you should only pray the, um, the, the Lord's Prayer. I believe that, that God has just given us an outline for the different things that we should pray, adoration, confession, um, con- uh, uh, um, uh, praise of the Lord, and, 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 and our, then our requests. Um, supplication. We also need to be Thanksgiving. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking is Thanksgiving. And so these are all the different things that we need to work on, areas that we need to focus on. And, and I would, you know, start by saying, okay, just try to pray for five minutes. Um, and if you can, write a list, right? I mean, that's what I do every morning in my devotions. You know, I'll, I'll read my chapters. I do the Murray McShane plan, which is two chapters of the Old Testament, two chapters of the New Testament. I do it all electronically on my phone. Um, I keep my notes in Evernote right there. And then I, I, I copy the verses that God's speaking to me. And then at the very end, I create a list. And I have certain things that I'm praying for for my church, certain things that I'm praying for for my family. Um, and a lot of those prayers are redundant. But what I found is also, too, is that when I write that list and I go back to prayer, it's much easy to pray. And, and so, Joanne, I would suggest that, that you, um, that you, um, you know, use a list to pray. That's not that big a deal. There's also some great resources out there on things that you could pray for that you're not thinking of. And I believe that that will help you improve that. Hopefully that, that answers your question. Okay. Um, Grasha Salvi, I think that's how you pronounce your name. Um, where can I buy a map like the one behind you on your wall? Uh, <laughs> I knew. Thank you. I knew this question was going to come. This is straight up 100% Ikea. It is not real that this is, look, it's, it's plastic. Um, and I got it at Ikea, oh, I don't know, like five, six years ago. And every time I do something online, people always ask about this map. And so um, I, last time I went to Ikea, I didn't see it there. Um, you may still be able to order it. Um, it's not real wood. It's just little vinyl on a, on a metal frame. But I loved it. I always wanted a big map in my office. And we were shopping it at Ikea one time. And I saw it. And I was like, I think it was like 100 bucks or something like that. So anyways, <laughs> thank you. N asks, why do we follow or keep some Old Testament laws, but not all of them? Okay, so on Wednesday nights uh, at our church, we're going through the Old Testament. We started with Genesis um, three years ago, um, just did Deuteronomy 15 and 16. And and the reason I say that last, um, I say this is um, because um, he's talking about what's, actually it was 14 and 15, sorry. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 14, he tells them, okay, don't eat these animals, do eat these animals, okay? And, 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 and so a lot of people have taken that as law as the kosher diet. But what they miss is, is the book in verses, in verses 1 and 2 and in verse 21 of chapter, four, uh, uh, chapter 14, where God says, you are my treasured possession. I don't want you being like the Canaanites. I, I, I set you apart to myself, and, and I want you to love me only. And so what I want you guys to realize is, is that while there are some cultural and specific things for the Jews, um, there are some great principles that we can grow out of it, uh, that we can, we can pull out of it. And let me illustrate this, okay? Because the Jews still have that kosher diet, right? Well, but in Acts, um, in chapter 8, when Peter's in Joppa, he's up on the, uh, on the roof, he's kind of waiting for, a, uh, he's taking a nap before uh, lunch is prepared. All of a sudden, he has a, a dream or a vision, and, and, and it's this sheet coming down with all these unclean animals. And, and God says, rise up, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 I've never eaten anything unclean. He has to do it three times. And what God says is, um, is that what I have made clean, um, you know, I've made clean. And what I want you guys to understand here is, is that there are some specific things that we are to follow in the Old Testament law, but really we're supposed to look at the principles. And the principles is, first of all, that we are sanctified or set apart and that we are not to be like the world. And so a lot of the rules and laws that God was using in the Old Testament was to prevent the Jews from being like the Canaanites. Perfect example in verse 1 of chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, God says, I don't want you cutting yourself or shaving your forehead um, when it comes to mourning the loss at a funeral. Okay, well, what, we have no idea what we mean. So we can use some history and some, some anthropology to fig that, figure that out. But what we can surmise is that the Canaanites, during their funeral procession, processions and their mourning periods, would often cut themselves or, or they would shave a part of their forehead um, to, to, to show that they're mourning. And God's like, I don't want you to be like that. So I don't want to see you doing that. Why? Well, because he knew the Israelites were susceptible and easily swayed. We saw that in the wilderness. You know, when they, when they got pulled away to, uh, 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 to worship a foreign god um, and, you know, and by the Midianites. And, and so he knew that. So a lot of those Old Testament laws were to prevent them. Now, of course, the Pharisees took a lot of those laws and took them to the extreme, but, but we, we haven't been freed from obedience from God um, when, when Jesus came, but the, the requirements of having to keep every jot and tittle of those laws we have been, um, we have been freed from. So, all right. Okay. Al Brock, when is it heretical to infer the spirit or pneuma of God in Scripture as anything other than the person of the Trinity, specifically walking in the Spirit rather than with the Spirit. When is it heretical to infer the Spirit or pneuma of God in Scripture? Hmm. Okay, I'm trying to um, kind of understand what you're uh, what, what you're saying here. Um, okay, I, I kind of got a gist. Okay, and, and this probably goes back to what I was talking for at the beginning, specifically walking in the Spirit rather than with the Spirit. Okay, let me start it this way. Paul, when he talks about walking in the Spirit, anytime he mentions walk, 
He's always talking not about actually taking physical steps. He's always talking about your daily life, each step kind of correlating to a day. And he referred to us as sojourners on our ways. We're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. And so when I say walking in the spirit, I'm not literally talking stepping and praying in tongues or anything like that. I'm literally talking about you're being led by the Holy Spirit. You're being convicted. You're being all those kind of things. Okay. Now, you can take that too far. You, you can take it literally. I, I mentioned my friend who walked around praying underneath his breath in, in tongues. Okay, that, that was too literally. I, I, I knew another lady who um, kind of took the whole first fruits um, thing a little too far when it came to, to pray. Um, she said, I, I, you know, I took, the fir- I took the first 10 minutes of every hour and I would pray to the Lord. And, she, and, and, and it was just kind of like, you know, how, how do you do that if you have a job? I mean, you don't get a 10-minute break every, every hour at work. And, and, and so people can kind of take things too far. And, um, and, and so, you know, you have to, um, you have to uh, understand that as, as the fact is, is that everything has to be in alliance with the Scripture. Everything has to be, um, you know, kind of like it, it, not taken too far, okay, if that makes sense. I hope that answers your question, all right? Sally says in Mark chapter 16, um, I think it's Mark chapter, Mark chapter 16, 16. I'm, I'm going to assume that from with the, way, the way the question looks here. Let, let me go there real quickly, okay? Um, okay, and all the way down to verse 16, okay? says that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I know baptism is not essential for salvation, but why is Jesus putting so much emphasis on it? Okay, well, why do we baptize people in water? Okay, well, there's two reasons. First of all, it symbolizes our death to our old life. So we, we lay the people back into the water, and, and then, then we, we raise them back up, and that shows the death and resurrection. It associates us with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, and so as believers, we're to be baptized. Does it mean do we have to be baptized to be saved? No, but but when we do that, it, it, it's a sign to us that we have been that we've died to the old life, the old self, which is what Paul talks about, um, and so many times that we die to that old self. Okay, and we are resurrected in Christ. Okay, Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen says that we are new creations in Christ is no longer our old person, but our, our, our new life uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we are, that's what we're doing. So why do, we, why do we also do baptism? Well, because baptism is also a public profession of our faith to everybody outside, okay? And, and so that's why I know a lot of Calvary chapels like to do the baptisms at a beach, because it's, it's, it's around, I mean, especially if it's a nice day, there's hundreds of people uh, around that to see your public profession. And when you get baptized, you're telling the world, I am closely associated with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am a believer. And so I'm getting baptized to tell everybody that I'm following after Jesus Christ. So Sally, I hope that um, answers your question. It's not uh, essential, but Jesus does want us to identify with him. He does want us to, um, to, to be transformed and conformed into his image. And so that's why he asked that kind of stuff. Okay. Hopefully that answers your question. Now, if you're just tuning in, if you're new and you're wondering, hey, that's not David Guzik, you're right. My name is Chuck Musselwhite. 
And I am the lead pastor of the Village Chapel in a place called Lompoc, California, which is on the Central Coast. Um, Lompoc's really famous for a couple things. Um, we have a beautiful flowers up here, but also too, we launch most of the satellites um, that go up into orbit and help your uh, cell phone and your uh, and all that kind of stuff operate. And so not too far from my office here. In fact, just the other day, we had this massive rocket go off that was that sh- you know, not shattered, but rattled the windows really hard. And, and that happens on a pre- pretty frequent uh, basis. And so I live in Lompoc. I've been a pastor up here for almost 15 years. I've been a pastor for 27. I'm also um, a board member on Enduring Word. Um, and I've uh, been a friend of David for a long time, and I just totally believe in this ministry. He's traveling, so he asked me to fill in for him. So if you're wondering why, what's going on here, well, that's what's happening. So it's nice to, to be on here. Um, I, in no way, shape, or form, consider myself as, as qualified to answer as David does, but I'm swinging as hard as I can if the pitch is throwing at me, and, uh, and, um, and I hope I get close to what you're, uh, <laughs> what you're asking. So thank you for... Um, for asking questions here and not just making me sit here talk to my, talk by myself, okay? All right. Um, West West um, uh, asked this. I want to know what is spiritual death and what is the second death, okay? I, I wish I had some, um, some uh, <laughs> um, uh, scripture, but I'm just going to kind of assume what, what you're, what you're saying here. Um, okay, so West, uh, what is spiritual death? Um, well, okay, well, let me answer the second one first. What is the second death? Okay, um, and let's take it in terms of judgment. At least this is, this is, you know, from what I'm kind of translating from what your scriptures are here. Um, what is the second death? Well, the first death, um, if, you know, we have that spiritual death, um, uh, we have that. Uh, we have a physical death, okay, where we actually are laid in a grave, and then the second death, if we if we aren't following Jesus Christ, then then there's that eternal um, damnation to hell. Okay, that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping that you're asking right there. Um, what is spiritual death? Well, spiritual death is you know when we reject Jesus Christ um, and, and and we choose not to follow Him and, and we sentence our sentence ourselves. There, there's almost a, a spiritual death because we, we, we're not we're not following Jesus Christ. Okay. Hope I, I, just from what the question says, it's really kind of hard to to kind of go. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Um, Donald McCord. Because of grace, can a person give their life to Christ, live an ungodly life, and still go to heaven? All right. So here's the famous "once saved, always saved" question. Uh, yes. Is God's grace there? Yes, it is. Um, can God, uh, a person give their life to Christ but live an ungodly life um, and still go to heaven? Um, hmm. Okay, well, uh, let, me, let me answer this in the, in the best way I can. Um, I believe that we will be judged by the fruit of our life. I believe, you know, um, for non-believers, they're going to be judged whether they accepted or rejected Jesus Christ. And I believe I believe that they are going to um, uh, be judged by the fruit of their life. Um, and, and it says that, um, you know, for believers who produce fruit, some of that fruit's going to be good fruit, some of it's going to be bad fruit, but we're going to produce fruit. And so I, I don't, and, and this is, 
Um, I'm, I'm just trying not to uh, wade into dark, murky waters here um, with a lot of debates. And, and I was kind of anticipating this question when it came. Um, can a person live an ungodly life and still go to heaven even though they accepted Jesus Christ? Um, I don't have the definitive answer on that because God is the one who judges, okay? Um, but I do believe what Scripture says is that if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And I believe that grace is there. Um, and I believe that you can, and I believe that that grace is going to cover you. Um, but when it comes to judging your life and whether that's, that's up to God. And, you know, I know a lot of people believe like, yeah, that, you know, once you accept Jesus Christ, it's, it's there, it's locked in. And, you know, of course, Romans 8 says no one can steal your, your, uh, your salvation from you. But I believe that, and I've, and I've seen a lot of people, you know, who, who've accepted Jesus Christ. Um, and they live for him a while, and then they just totally rejected him. I mean, what I mean by rejected, like, not only do they walk away and live an ungodly life, but they denied what he said. I have a hard time seeing them go um, to heaven after that, okay? So um, it's just my personal opinion. Um, I'm sorry, like I told you, I grew up Pentecostal. Um, I, I was not a Calvinist. In fact, I was the opposite of a Calvinist. Um, I, you know, I grew up very Arminius. I, <laughs> I remember a lot of pastors preaching that if you— um, uh, you know, if you sinned, you had to get resaved. I don't believe that whatsoever. Um, but I have a hard time, um, believing that, that, um, that people who reject God, um, now they live an ungodly life and, you know, they're not rejecting God. They're just not living for the Lord. I believe they are saved. So that's, we'll, we'll stick with it for right there. Okay. Okay. Um, John, do I need to be baptized by someone else? Can I be- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at you, but this is, can I baptize myself or does a second person need to do it with me? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the fact that, that, yeah, you, you do need somebody else to do it for you. Okay. I'm just as Jesus was in the grave. Okay. And and angels rolled the rock or or God rolled the rock away with an earthquake, that kind of stuff. I believe you you do need to, uh, you you need to have somebody uh, lay you back and then bring you forward okay yes that's uh that's uh, that's a it's a good question but yes okay all right um just waiting for the next question to 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 come in here um okay adonis jackson again was the first day of unleavened bread in matthew 26 the same as passover and nisan 14 okay so let's let's just go to Matthew 26, okay? And I'm gonna try to find the scripture that you're referring to um, here, okay? Um, so was the first day of unleavened bread in Matthew 26 the same as Passover Nisan? And um, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna say that is true. It is the same um, day. So, Adonis, good question. All right. Okay. Um, any other? <laughs> Thanks, Lance. Uh, okay, let's see. Some other questions here. Devin is getting them to me. Okay. And this is what Christina asks. How do we know God didn't create a wife for Cain like he did for Adam? Where did Cain get his wife? Okay. 
All right. So, um, okay. Let, let me, let me try to answer this in the best way. Um, Kane, um, most Kane uh, ended up marrying um, either one of his sisters because Adam and Eve had multiple multiple children, or, or he ended up marrying one of their children. Or and, and what happened at that time? You know, part, you know, Adam and Eve they had Cain and Abel, then they had Seth, and they had these you know all the bunch of other children. They had a ton of children over the nine hundred years that that um, that Adam lived, and uh, and so. You know, those children produce children who produce children. And, you know, we're not told specifically who Cain married, um, but we're, it had to be a relative. It couldn't be somebody else. And so, no, God did not create a wife for, for Cain, right? So hope that answers your question, right? Diana P., with all the confusion about gender issues in our current culture, will we be known by our gender in heaven? Are there any gender differences in heaven? Um, the reason I chuckle is just because I, I like these are great questions, but I'm just like, oh man, <laughs> I mean, they're not easy questions. So that's why I'm kind of I'm not laughing at your questions at all. So I'm just going, oh my gosh, it just seems like each question gets more and more difficult. Um, okay, and so if I turn red, if my face is turning red, it's just like I'm, I'm kind of sweating under the pressure here. So um, with all the confusion about gender issues, no, there's going to be two genders in heaven, uh, the two genders that that God made, man and woman. Okay. Um, we won't be married in heaven because there's going to be a greater love than even marriage in heaven, but um, but there'll only be two genders in in heaven. So we're not going to have any you know you know hundred different genders. We're just going to have two, okay? Uh, because God doesn't go back on His design. He doesn't go back on what He decides when He first decides something. It's the right thing to do, and and we don't need to deviate from it. So, okay, Ronald, may I ask what you think of Unitarian teaching? Um, well, uh, not much. Um, <laughs> uh, I've met several Unitarians, and um, I think from uh, the Unitarians just believe that, you know, from, from my, there's obviously different beliefs kind of stuff, but um, a lot of Unitarians just believe that everybody, God is love and everybody's going to go to heaven. And um, they're, they're, if you really believe that God gave us his word in the form of the Bible, and you believe it truly is his word spoken through man, you know, written in, in all these different books, then, then you, you have to believe what his word says. And, and although he does love everybody, but he, he is a holy God. And, you know, oftentimes we put love, you know, above his holiness, but, but it needs to be exact opposite. God is holy first and foremost, and, and, and his love comes from that holiness. His holiness doesn't come from his love. And so there will be a judgment because he talks about two judgments. He talks about the great white throne judgment, and he talks about the judgment seat of cross. The great white throne judgment are for, the, are, are for those who've rejected Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for those who've re received Jesus Christ, and, and each one will have their, their judgments on that. And so, um, so Unitarian team, we'll, we'll, I'll just take the one that, that I'm most familiar with. Will everybody go to heaven because God is love? No, that's not. And I, and I don't, um, uh, when I talk to Unitarians, it seems that they're more concerned with trying to conform God's word and the church and Jesus to the popular views of that day than they are of being obedient and conformed uh, into the image of Jesus Christ, right? 
Okay. A Howie. Oh, Anna Hoy. Okay, sorry. My eyes are going bad. Anna Hui. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. What do you say about baptism when it comes to confession? Are we to confess our, our iniquities, turn, and then be baptized? Okay. Um, uh, let, let's just, I'm going to take this in the context of, of um, salvation. Yes, we are to confess our sins to the Lord. That forgiveness comes when we receive Jesus Christ at that moment of salvation, that he comes and he just cleans house and, you know, um, and, and he does all that work. And so we need to, um, to confess those sins. Um, but um, does, is it required? Do we have to like go through a confession thing before we get baptized? No, not at all. Um, and um, remember, confession is, is between us and the Lord. Should we confess our sins to one another so they can bear our burdens? Yes, but that doesn't mean we have to confess all our sins to everybody all the time. I, it's good to find a, a small group of people and have them do that. Um, and especially if there's besetting sins or, or lifestyle sins that you just continue to keep struggling with, it's great to find some mature saints to walk with you, to kind of hold you accountable, to kind of do it. But you don't need to do it um, before, uh, before baptism, right? Good question. Grant, how did the Bible get broken up into chapters and verses? Um, uh, okay. I, um, I, I wish my friend Lance was here because he would tell you, and, and David would be able to like rattle this off the top of your head. But, um, and I can't remember the guy's name, and I think it was during the 1600s, and I could be way off on that. But there was a guy um, who literally went through the whole Bible and, and just divided it up and, 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 and made, um, you know, uh, chapters out of the books and, and did verses. And it was just an easy reference system, and it got adopted because it was easy for people to find. And I wish I could remember his name and, and the date of it. And so this, uh, you know, the Bible... Old Testament, New Testament were all written on scrolls or parchment paper. Um, they were written as letters and then compiled. Um, there was never any chapters, <laughs> never any verses. Um, but, I, but at the same time, I look at the chapters and verses as a blessing uh, because um, it's nice to be able to reference something. And, you know, especially when I teach on Sunday mornings, I'll get up and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to be starting in verse 12. You know, uh, you know for especially for people who don't know anything, they can open the Bible and kind of figure it out. If we didn't have those things, it would make um, uh, teaching a little bit difficult. So, um, all right, great question. Iman Rice, should a Christian get involved in politics? Um, I'm, I'm going to take this on two levels. First of all, as a private or as a public citizen or a citizen of a, a, of a democracy, okay, when it comes to other governments, I really can't um, speak for those because I don't know much about getting involved in those things. But, you know, say as an American, should we be involved in, in politics? And, and here's my question. If the Lord leads you, okay, um, there's a lot of people in the church today that sh should not um, be involved in politics because their politics are, are, are molded and shaped by things like CNN, Fox News, Newsmax, all these different places. And it's just they're opinionated and they're just spewing things out on social media. And, and, and we're not doing it with the attitude of Christ. Okay. And so, um, but if God leads people to be involved, they want to help volunteer with campaigns. They, they, they want to, um, they want to, um, you know, further causes like propositions that we have here in the state of California and God's leading them. Heck, yeah, go for it. I think we need more Christians in, in, in politics. I think if they want to work for a politician now running for office, if God, I mean, I, man, we need more godly people 
in, in our politics. I, I'm not called to do that, but if you are, um, and God is saying, go for it, I'm, you know, you've, you've got to, got to trust him to take that step of faith. And so I think, yes, it's okay for, for Christians to be involved in politics. Okay. As long as they are a reflection of God's glory and a representation of Jesus Christ as they do so. So good question. Teresa, I want to know who should not take communion. At times, our pastor tells us God wants us all to take it. Then at times, sometimes should not should be doing it. Well, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us in, in chapter 11, he says, if you have a sin that's unconfessed in your heart, do not, um, uh, do not take communion until you go get right. And so that could be even just you sitting in the pew before the cook. It's like, Lord, I just ask for your forgiveness of the sin and, and, and make things right. Other things need to be doing do more. You know, um, the Bible says, or Jesus says in the scriptures, like if you bring your offering and you have something against your brother, lay it down, go and make things right, then come back. And so each issue could be, um, could be uh, totally different. So, um, so yeah, each time, I don't think there's time where everybody should take it, but I, I mean, but it's a, it's, it's something that we can't, um, uh, we cannot, uh, police on the, um, as, as a pastor. So it has to be a thing between them, uh, um, um, between them and God when they're before, uh, before they're taking it. Sorry, I have to communicate with somebody. Um, all right. Okay. And so good question. And how do we tell the difference if we're being touched by the spirit during worship or if it's emotion that make that's making us cry? Um, uh, okay. So here's a, I've seen a lot of things that have um, posed as the spirit, um, not being the spirit. One time I took um, a bunch of youth to a youth conference, and we had this wonderful time of worship, and the Holy Spirit was moving. Um, and then, uh, uh, then the speaker gets up to speak, and, and and there was this one girl who, you know, for for some reason. He felt like she wanted to continue that. And so she, you know, she had fallen on the ground during the worship time and she was just kind of praying and, um, and, and she was crying as well. And, um, and it was a huge distraction to all of us around there. Well, Paul talks about that order. And the fact is, is that the Holy Spirit is not going to interrupt himself. And so if somebody's in that, they, they need, if, God's, if God's working on their heart, then they need to get up and move someplace where they're not a distraction so that the, when the word of God is taught, that people can receive that. Uh, but all those people in that area didn't receive what the word was being spoken that night because this girl felt like she just needed to continue in whatever she was doing. Now, does God um, uh, touch people in the spirit? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, why? Because he says, where two or three are gathered in my presence, there I am. And so if we come with a pure heart and an open heart and worship, God can minister to us. But we also have to understand that, that when it comes for the time for the teaching of God's word, um, if the Holy Spirit is still moving on you, it, you need to be um, uh, sensitive to that and, 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 and not be a distraction to the people who are going to hear the word of God, because God wants us to hear his word being taught. And so, yeah, there can be um, emotions that make us cry. Um, I, see, I, I see people crying all the time. 
all right and so um that and, and that's that's okay there's nothing wrong with emotions the question is is, it, is our emotions a distraction um that's preventing other people from either worshiping or hearing the word of god okay um okay uh gracia again do you have an elevator pitch for modeling a church based on sola, sola scriptura versus religious tradition catholicism maybe a couple verses well yeah acts 242 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to breaking of bread to prayer um and, and to fellowship okay um that's the elevator pitch right there um and it's simply this is that you need to be in a church where god's word is taught um and i'm a proponent of verse by verse teaching but there also needs to be that recognition of communion. I, I think what happened in the, in the New Testament church was this. They would go about three o'clock because that was like their break time, their siesta time. And, and so a lot of people would go to the temple in the early days of the church at three, around 3 p.m. and hear Peter and John and all the rest of the apostles teach. Then they'd go back to work. And then that evening, then they would go and they would break up to all the different believers' houses. And they would have food and there would be ministry there and at the end of the of the meal they would break bread and they would take communion and to remember Jesus Christ and and they would do that every every night and and because the spirit was working through the teaching because he was working through the fellowship the breaking of bread and through prayer that the church just exploded so if you want an elevator pitch in a couple of verses um just look at those verses right after acts after Peter's message in acts chapter 2 and that'll show you how how the church is to um to go uh to go about for the best elevator pitch I can give you, all right? Jane says, is Abraham the father of just all the Jews or of all of us? Um, great question, great question. Um, physically or, or biologically, he is the father of all the Jews. Spiritually, he is our father. And, and in Romans chapter 11, he talks, you know, uh, um, Paul talks about how Gentiles have been grafted in. We were wild olive branches that were grafted into the original olive tree, and, and, and that is Israel. And, and so that's why as believers, we can't reject Israel. We can't reject the Jews because they're still God's chosen people. But um, he is our, he, he's a, a, he's our spiritual father because the fact is that we've been molded into that group, but, um, but biologically, we're not, we're not Jewish. So hope that answers your question, Jane. All right. Oh, I think that's all the questions that we'll be taking for today. Hey, thank you guys for um, all of this time. You guys were awesome. And um, man, I, I survived. I, I woke up in the, in the middle of the night, um, uh, just kind of stressing about this. And uh, I just you know, want to thank all you guys, especially those guys um, from the TWR 360 um, who tuned in today and uh, all those people who were um, uh, uh, um, patient with my answers and i hope i i didn't slaughter them enough and uh and i'm just uh um, thankful to be a part of the enduring word uh ministry it is a just a wonderful ministry god has been using um david for decades he's been uh he's been using his commentaries um in just amazing ways and uh, as we see it getting translated into all these different languages you know it's been spanish for a while and it's going into um, to Arabic, it's going into Chinese, it's going to all these different things, and and it's just exploding, and and even to the point where like you know um, 
my, my daughter sees other girls on on TikTok referring to to using enduring word when it comes to their devotions. And so um, it, the way God's using this ministry is amazing, and I'm just so thankful um, to be a part of that. And uh, and thanks for listening to uh, to my explanations. Um, and, and throwing your questions out there. I just want to encourage you guys uh, as you go from here, just to continue to trust in the Lord and continue to use um, his word and his spirit for his glory. So have a great day. We'll uh, talk to you guys um, next time.